Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have book shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Welcome to Episode 8. It's pretty crazy to think I've made 8 of these in only one month. When I first started brainstorming ideas for this podcast, I had no idea how much work goes into creating it. I've already dealt with a fair share of adversity in producing this, and I'm sure there's more of that to come. But I'm still really excited to keep pushing forward. In the coming months, I have a lot of great guests planned. I'm going to start covering other regions soon, too. Like I said from the beginning, I don't want this to just be a nostalgia piece. There's a lot of good bands out there, and I'd love to give them some shine here. As always, you can find us on the web at EnterpriseHardcorePodcast.com. There you will find links to social media pages, as well as a list of all the streaming platforms. Feedback and suggestions are always welcome and encouraged. You can contact us using the form on the website. Coming up is a conversation with Rochester hardcore historian Greg Benoit. But first I'm going to tell you how easy it is to make a podcast on Anchor. Greg Benoit has been a part of Rochester hardcore for over 20 years. In recent years, Greg has archived pretty much all of Rochester's hardcore history. Our interview discusses this, as well as the bands Greg has been in, fatherhood, substance abuse, and plenty more. If you're not already following Rochester Hardcore History on Instagram and SoundCloud, make sure you do so while listening to this interview. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm 30, 37 years old. I uh, grew up in Fairport. Um, I've lived in Rochester basically my whole life with a, a brief period in Northern Virginia. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I came from, I guess, a fairly typical uh, uh, family that you might find in the suburbs. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing that I think really made hardcore appeal to me and, and what it is about, you know, my upbringing that, that um, has made hardcore so special is, uh, you know, my father is a, uh, has been in, in recovery um, for, for alcoholism for uh, 40 years now. And from an early age, I, I, he would explain to me that if, if I chose to drink, I'd probably, you know, I ran the risk of having a hard time stopping even if I wanted to. Um, so I always knew that I, I wanted to avoid alcohol. And um, when I was in middle school, somebody told me about straight edge and hardcore. Um, and this was, you know, around, the mid nineties when earth crisis was popular and that really appealed to me. Um, because even at a young age, I, I knew that, uh, I was going to be kind of an outsider for not drinking. Um, and it just seemed like, uh, it seemed like the right fit for me. And then the kind of the passion and the, the aggressiveness of the music and the lyrics really kind of spoke to, uh, sense of anger that I think I had as a as a young person um, because I felt different from my peers um, so that's that's basically the gist uh, of, of my my upbringing my childhood um, you know family is very very important to me um, and uh, and so you know hardcore really is is kind of just my you know the way that I, I brought myself into being and kind of grew up feeling comfortable with the fact that 
you know, I was aware of this thing about me and my family that that's kind of been following us for generations. Wow, that's interesting. I never knew that about you. And I honestly hadn't really planned on diving into that, that conversation, <laughs> this interview. Uh, I'm sure you're probably aware that I've had my issues uh, with alcoholism. And um, I can definitely relate to what your father said, because um, I got into an accident, was, which was a, you know, the result of drinking last year. And I, even afterwards, I stopped drinking. And then, you know, uh, I went to AA for a few months. And I found myself drinking again, which is one of those things where there was no reason for me to do it either. It was just, it's like exactly like you said, like once you start doing something like that, like it's, it's, if you have, if you have the disease, as they say, like it's impossible to stop. And, you know, that's one thing that's been good about this, this quarantine is that I literally had just stopped again, like a few weeks before this started. And I mean, it's pretty obvious that that's kind of why I started doing this podcast and everything I've been doing to kind of, you know, involve myself back with hardcore again. And, you know, I can't guarantee that, that I'll, I'll be done for good this time, but I'd like to think that I am, but you know, it really worries me having a son now because yeah. like my dad was, you know, my dad was an alcoholic and now there's a good chance he will be too. So, um, but yeah, I'm glad, I'm, you know, I appreciate you sharing that and, and, you know, it's, it's stuff like that, that I kind of need to hear to keep me on the right track. Yeah, no, that's great. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I have, I totally know I have that impulse in me. Um, just, just the way I deal with stress and avoid, you know, avoid stress. Um, and I, I totally hear you about having kids because I, I have two sons now. Um, and, you know, that's something that my dad was always very upfront with me about. And that's something I'm going to have to take up with them. Um, you know, even though, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, it, it's interesting to hear you say that about your personal history. Um, because I've... Uh, you know, for a number of years, I, I, I've been working at a job that's can be stressful at times. Um, but it's, you know, it's very gratifying. And it's a big part of my identity. Um, but I've been on a number of medications, prescription medications, uh, to try to help me deal with that stress in a healthy way. And, and even in those situations, um, you know, at one point in time, uh, I was prescribed uh, sleeping medication. Um, and I became so dependent on it to even just fall asleep um, and, and even get, you know, a few hours of sleep that, um, you know, I can see how, you know, I can see how that develops and how it creeps up on you quickly. Um, because this is, you know, that was, you know, prescription drug I got from my doctor and, and um, you know, picked up at the pharmacy, but still, you know, I, it, it definitely affected me in a negative way. Um, it definitely caused me to kind of reassess my own feelings about, uh, you know, about uh, abstaining from, um, you know, intoxicants and, and uh, you know, prescription drugs. Um, I still am on a number of medications for, for uh, anxiety and sleeplessness, but at this point I'm, you know, I'm only on things that are, uh, you know, that, that helps stabilize me instead of help, you know, put me down so that I can sleep. And hearing about your struggles with that is, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice thing, nice thing to hear. Um, you know, definitely makes me feel like, uh, you know, I'm not alone in, in my, uh, in my inability to kind of, uh, compartmentalize my stress and deal with it in a, in a way that's, uh, you know, healthy. But yeah, I guess kind of trying to stay uh, on topic. When did you first start playing the drums? Yeah, I, I played. I started playing the drums. Um, I think in middle school, um, and 
I wasn't, I wasn't, wasn't very good at, at, you know, at sticking with the lessons. So pretty much everything I've learned has been self-taught and through, uh, you know, trial and error. Um, but what got me into playing drums was, um, and it was also similar to me getting into hardcore. Um, uh, there's uh, the sick of it all song step down. Um, there's a really basic drum fill in it, but the production and um, you know, something about it just was like, oh, that's awesome. I gotta, I gotta figure out how to do that. And it's like your typical kind of wraparound beat on the toms and snare drum. Um, but I, I saw, I, I came across Sick of It All through Beavis and Butthead, which sounds kind of crazy, but they, they did that thing where they parody the music videos. And, uh, you know, there was the, the video for that song where I guess Sick of It All wanted to try to introduce hardcore and kind of hardcore culture to a, a broader audience. So they, they have like little mini tutorials on typical hardcore dance moves. Um, and when I saw that and I heard, you know, I heard the music, it was, it was like nothing I had heard before and it was so aggressive and it kind of, um, you know, self-affirming and in your face and unapologetic about, you know, being who you want it to be. And when I heard that, I, you know, I like figured out what the band was and had my mom drive me to FYE at Eastview Mall and I picked up that CD. And then from there, I just started like banging on like oatmeal you know tubs and buckets and and eventually uh worked my way up to a real drum set so i think you kind of referenced how you first found hardcore um but was there a moment when you realized that that was the scene you wanted to spend like as much time as you have in, in there yeah i mean it, it's at some point i became aware that there was like a local music scene um and and growing up in fairport was was great uh because i you know i found out about hardcore kind of through mtv um, but then when I found out there was stuff like that going on locally, um, you know, discern and channel three and Standfast would play at the teen center, which I think is probably a lot of people's, um, gateway into hardcore that were from Fairport or that, you know, were, were teenagers in the late nineties. Um, and the first time I went to one of those shows and saw everybody sing along and dancing and. Uh, I just knew that that energy was for me. And, you know, you get a sense when you grow up as an outsider, I think, and when you grow up feeling uncomfortable with yourself and, and, um, you, you know, if feeling different from your peers, you just kind of identify with the people you see at, at hardcore and punk shows, you, you kind of get the sense that they've carried, you know, a similar burden as you and that always really appealed to me. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, I grew up in the city and I fit in with like a variety of people because I grew up around so many different cultures. But I always kind of felt like there was there was something missing, like you're saying. And, and once I found hardcore, I realized that that's that's where I wanted to be. And, you know, once I, I met so many like minded people, I realized that, you know, like you said, we're not we're not alone. And we have a lot of people that, that feel the same way we do and, and have a lot of the same crazy beliefs that we do. And it's just interesting kind of coming up in that scene, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um. I was listening to the episode that you did with Rob and you were talking about growing up on, on Monroe Ave and you know, that, that, um, was, was like a different experience than, than what I had, but you know, I'm like a little envious because it seemed like you kind of 
got into hardcore a little bit a little bit younger a little bit sooner and i'm assuming because you had you know more immediate access to the venues and record shops and stuff so i don't know i thought that uh I thought, you know I, I just uh i like that you know, like two people who grew up in different places and had different backgrounds like we, st we still have this thing in common and, and i don't know i haven't talked to you in i don't know how many years at least 10 maybe even 15 and here we are we're kind of still in the same spot in life you know with kids and and our own struggles and our own uh, you know trying to find ourselves so yeah it's, it's probably one of the best things that's happened to me is, is stumbling upon that so i guess kind of sticking with the early years of you going to shows uh you kind of referenced it by by the, those teen center sing-alongs and stuff but uh what are some of your other favorite memories from those early years yeah so um you know aside from just knowing that this this kind of music and and these kind of people were right here in my hometown and there was you know a critical mass of them where there could be a scene um you know and the local bands definitely like stand fast brought me into it and, and was a big part of um you know me getting energized about the the local music scene um you know bane uh anytime i've seen bane has always been special something about you know the lyrics really resonated with me um and you know i'm a little sad they're not around anymore um um but anytime you know i saw them play the floor and I'm, I'm so grateful that you know i got to see like bands like that play the floor um eli fagan probably you know the, the the new year's eve show that was there um you know where the police wound up coming that was a that was a fun show and then there, there were a couple shows at like the fairport vfw with like hope con and and um, strike anywhere that just there were you know there were fairly large shows at that point in time for what Rochester's scene was, um, and just the energy seeing people travel to you know my my hometown from other cities or other states to to check out bands was uh, you know it definitely made me feel like I was in the middle of something, and I'm I'm so grateful I got to have that experience because I've I've met you know hardcore kids and punk kids who grew up in you know, some small town in, in Pennsylvania and the nearest city was a, you know, four hour drive and they didn't have a local scene. So, you know, the, the, the those, those, those really, uh, really exciting, exciting shows where, you know, there were probably like 200 or 300 people there. Um, but then like, as far as playing shows, um, opening for sick of it all was definitely probably one of my highlights, even just getting to play a show out, out of outside of Rochester was, uh, you know, it was, it was a pretty big milestone um, that somebody would care enough to like, you know, help help us with gas money to get out to their home, you know, out to their town. Yeah, booking that Sick of It All show was, was probably like one of the last things on my bucket list of bands to book too. Like I, I could probably name like, uh, I could count on my hand probably all the bands that I haven't booked that I'd like to book at this point in my life. And obviously I've seen those bands numerous times, but it was still cool to be able to even though we lost a little bit of money that night, it was, it was definitely cool. The book sick of it all. Yeah. Um, and you talking about Eli Fagan and that New Year's Eve show. I was actually just thinking about that. Uh, I just, you know, sometimes you just have these flashbacks in your head of all those memories. And today I was actually talking to Pat Stefano about all those Eli Fagan shows. And then when he left, I was still thinking about it. And that New Year's Eve show specifically came into my mind because I was thinking um, when they first came upstairs to tell us that we had to stop doing the show before midnight, when it was clear that you would run out a place for New Year's Eve to have it open until midnight um john 25 specifically told me he's like i'm gonna talk to them about this you just kind of stand in the back and don't say anything and uh me and dan bruss were laughing because uh dan was like 
you know, John started yelling at the person and Dan was like, I, I, I would have totally expected you to be the one to yell at her and John <laughs> to be the, the, the calm, collected person. And then when the cops got there, furthermore, again, I was like, I can't go up there because I'm going to start swearing in front of them and stuff. But the funny thing is, is Mike from Premonitions of War was a good dude. But at the time, you didn't have a lot of dudes with like neck tattoos like that. And he was like, I'll talk to them. And we're just like, oh, my God, we're sending one guy here who's got a tattoo on his neck to go talk to the cops. Like, what are they going to think of us, you know? And granted, we got banned from that place after that. But we still, like, that was a killer show. Like, Stan Fast rang in the New Year. Every time I die played there that night. Like, it was it was a stacked lineup. Like, we had, you know, between John and myself and, and I was talking, when I was talking to Rob, like, there was a lot of us doing a lot of good shows around that time. And like you're saying, like, we don't live in a huge, like, metropolis. But at the same time, like, compared to, like, smaller towns, we were pretty blessed to be able to have like a really good scene for all those years like that. Yeah. And I think I loved about that show was like, I felt totally vindicated because there were like all these stuffy old people hanging out in the basement who didn't want us kids playing music and acting wild. And we were doing something that probably scared the shit out of them. And I probably liked that just, just on its own merits. But then when the cops came in and they were like looking around, you know, I, I know I knew they were like looking for underage drinking or drugs or something. And they didn't find, you know, they didn't find, uh, they didn't find any of that. And I just felt like, aha, like we fucking beat you at your own game. Like this is as wholesome as whatever the fuck you're doing downstairs, probably more so because you guys are probably half cocked on, you know, drinks <laughs> anyway. So it felt, it felt really awesome to like see the cops show up at that show and then walk away, not being able to do anything because we were playing by their rules and we were beating them at their game. Yeah, I never thought about it like that. Like, obviously, I wasn't drinking back then, but it's that's something that really never came came to my mind until recently. Stefano, when I when I had posted uh, that newspaper article from when I was in the paper yeah. years ago, like he had told me that he he like showed it to his parents just to show them he wasn't going to some like weird like druggy or, or drinking scene because I guess that's what his parents thought, and I'm guessing a lot of parents thought that because I even referenced it in that article that like like kids parents had the kids parents made them leave that night because like I was the, I was the only one there like running the show and I was like 20 at the time and they're like well who's the responsible person here you know and yeah. it's like none of us drank or did drugs back then it was like but you just you see like a young person doing something like that and you think that it's going to be like this really sketchy situation and that's not what we we're about obviously so yeah yeah I remember like I think everybody's gone through that like I remember like my parents thinking I like straight edge was some bullshit I made up just so I could like go to raves without them <laughs> you know like hassling me but I, i've talked to a lot of people who've had similar experiences uh, uh similar experiences like that where there's skepticism only to find later that like oh this is actually like a fairly wholesome thing even though on the surface it's really violent sounding and aggressive yeah it'd be interesting to see how it is now for kids coming up in the scene because like obviously now you can just look up on like wikipedia or youtube and I mean, look at that Have Heart reunion show last year, too. There was, like, 10,000 people at that that's just show they did in Boston. Like, yeah. I feel like, you know, there w- there might not be as many questions from, from parents now as there was. Because, like, when we were into it, like, the internet was around, but it, there wasn't quite as much, like, information out there about this stuff. You had to really kind of dig to find it, so. Yeah, too. I think about this a lot, too, and it makes me feel old. But, like, you know, in, like, 95, like, hardcore as its own genre was, like, I don't know, like what, like 15 years old, maybe. And now it's got, you know, much longer history. And, and it's funny you mentioned the Have Heart show, because when I saw pictures of that show, I like, you know, I like Have Heart, but I was never, they were never like one of my top, you know, five or 10 bands. Um, but I just felt like a, a, like kind of like a sense of pride that there's this many people who, who care about hardcore and, and want to do this. 
that that you know a band like have heart could attract 10,000 people like that's got to be the biggest hardcore show that isn't uh, wasn't a fest um and you know even though i had nothing to do with that show or that band in some small way you know i helped you know i, I participated in in helping turn hardcore into something that could attract 10,000 kids you know without any corporate sponsorship or you know major labels or mtv or any of that bullshit um so yeah 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 that that uh yeah it's it's funny you mentioned that it's it's funny you mentioned that because i i think about that that show from time to time and just uh you know how far hardcores come and how it's you know i i see movie i've seen popular movies where there's like straight edge characters or characters you know wearing a you know classic revelation band t-shirts in it it's it's kind of become its it's its own uh you know its own piece of of the larger american culture yeah and it's crazy we would talk about the half hard show like that because i never really thought about it like that but like i guess like kind of all of us who are involved in hardcore at one point or another kind of helped build it up like that and i'm kind of like you where i respect half hard as a band but like they came around a little bit after yeah. like i was at my peak of peak of doing this stuff so i didn't really get a chance to really witness them as much as some people did um but again same as you like when i saw those pictures like and that was like this was like not long after i got in that accident last year so i was kind of like needed to see something like that and it was like you know this is where i need to be again and it took me a little while to kind of come around full circle like i have now but like that was one of the first things like seeing all the pictures and like the, the fan shot videos they took that weekend like it was like you know a band like this can be so influential like like hardcore's not going anywhere like you know there might be like different kids like different generations doing it um and speaking of that too in my conversation with bill page last week like he literally brought up the exact point that you did that because he got into hardcore like a few years earlier than we did like like 90 91 and so it was like like 12 years old at most by then you know and, and the same thing with you and i like when we got into it it was only it wasn't even 20 years old yet and now we've both been listening to it for you know significantly longer than that and hardcore is probably like 40 plus years old now so it's just crazy to, to see like you know the different generations of, of bands that have come and gone and now like you see bands like agnostic front and and like I know, there's like different versions of them, like the Chromags. Like like people have been doing this for like so many years that you know it's just kind of inspiring to see. Like now that I have a son and and you have kids, you know what I mean? Like that maybe we can keep doing this until we're in our like our 50s or 60s. Like I'm not gonna be moshing, obviously, when I'm that old. Yeah. But like it's just it's just cool to think, you know what I mean? That that no. you know there's, we can we can stick. It's not just a youth culture anymore. It's like forever. No, it is. Know? And there's like a meme I've seen on the internet where there's like a like a kid in like a drawing of a kid wearing an Earth Crisis shirt and he's got acne. And then there's like a picture of the same kid, but he's like 40 years old and he's wearing the same Earth Crisis shirt and he's like saying in a speech bubble, I guess it wasn't a phase. And um, like now that I'm approaching my midlife crisis, I'm like, like, yeah, I kind of need this just as much now as I did when I was trying to figure out who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, when I was a teenager and, uh, it, it, it you know, I, I know at one point in time, I probably talked shit about bands like youth of today for having reunion shows, but I've definitely come, you know, full circle on that because, uh, like the fact that those guys are like 50 and doing this is definitely something to, it, it definitely means something to me now. Uh, you know, that I'm uh, approaching 40. Um, and to reference back to that Have Heart show, like, uh, you know, Youth of Today kind of gave way to, you know, bands like Bane in the mid-90s, and those bands definitely influenced bands like Have Heart. And I, 
suppose there's bands out there right now that I'm not aware of that, you know, have heart was, you know, their favorite band and, and all those bands, they like, there's kind of an unbroken chain of continuity, you know, the, of, of shared influence and shared values. And, um, it, it yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's definitely, um, I mean, maybe we're in the similar places because we're similar ages and we have, you know, kids now. And, uh, but yeah, I definitely kind of stepped away from it for about 10 years, still listening to the music and, and, um, you know, it being a major part of my, my life and my values, but I feel like I'm kind of ready to re-engage with this as like an adult now, instead of as, you know, a teenager or somebody in my twenties. Yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly where I'm at. Um, like I, I like you, I kept listening to it, but I, I would only go to like a handful of shows every year. And the funny thing is, like when I was a teenager, one, my best friend and I would always be like, you know, screw those reunion bands. They're just coming in to cash in. But now, like as pretty much in my 30s, that's pretty much the only shows I've been to aside from like a few local shows. Like anytime, pretty much anytime Donna wore a borrowed time would play, I would try to be there. But like other than that, like, you know, negative approach played here and I've seen the Chrome eggs like two or three times in the last like 10 years. And, you know, it's just pretty much all the legacy bands. Uh, when judge played Buffalo, like I made sure I went to that, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know, like all these bands that I never thought would get back together. Like, you know, they, they, and that's the funny thing too. Like when we were like teenagers, like there was probably only a couple bands that had done reunions and now there's probably only a couple bands that haven't done reunions, you know, it's like pretty much every band's gotten back together. Oh, like, oh, I know. Like, all the classic rev bands are like basically back together now. It's like bold chain of strength, judge gorilla biscuits. Um, I don't know. I, I like it. I love it. And I hope, I hope in another like five or 10 years, the bands that I, and I kind of starting to see it now, maybe with like one King down and like earth crisis playing special shows. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to like the mid to late nineties revival. That's, that's probably a few years away from us now. Yeah. That's actually something Rob and I touched on our, in our, I think it was our second conversation, but either way, in one of our conversations, um, it's not only the bands getting back together from the nineties, but like, that's kind of what's like prevalent in the scene. That was a lot of like nineties, like mosh core yeah. and like straight edge sounding bands, you know, and it's, you know, like I was, I wasn't huge into that stuff in the nineties. I was more, I think, like you, like more into like the traditional sounding bands. Yeah. Um, but now some of these newer bands, like I mean, Harm's Way has been around for like you know over ten years, but like them and like like even like Division of Mind, like some of these bands are like they're not metalcore, but I mean Harm's Way is pretty much metalcore, you know. And like, and there's a lot of bands like that that like Jesus Peace and yeah. Year of the Knife, where it's where it's just like it, it takes me back to that time period. And it's funny because I wasn't as into that, that style, style of music then, but now when I hear these newer bands, I'm like, man, that's, that's the take on it that I like. Like I love like harm's way is probably one of my favorite current bands. Yeah, you know, I mean, I could, I could have a whole podcast, you know, yeah, harm's way. I, I listen to them. I don't listen to like a ton of new hardcore, um, but like inclination, if you listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. They're good too. Yeah. yeah. Like just that kind of, you know mid-tempo with a few fast parts and then some like double bass uh you know breakdowns is i don't get sick of that i mean it's been it's been more than 20 years now and i'm still not <laughs> tired of that so i guess let's kind of get into your your uh, discography a little bit starshell fall was the first band i did and um it was it was you know it wasn't great we uh, in, in hindsight i think we wrote great parts but we couldn't put them together and took like a coherent sounding song um but that that was me and, and nate who went on to do red death um and uh 
and uh, and my friend Eric, who's who's been a you know a, probably one of my closest friends for since the inception of that band. Um, he he was in Tears of Isaiah, and so when uh, Chad, the, the the kid I knew who, who who was mutual friends with Eric, was like, "Oh yeah, my buddy Eric will do this," I was like, "Oh shit, he was in Tears of Isaiah. This guy's the real deal. Like this is this is it. Like <laughs> like we're we're gonna get it. We're gonna get a show just based on the fact that he was in another band." Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a good first experience. But I you know like I haven't listened to those songs in a very long time because uh, I just I just uh, you know my drumming wasn't what I, what it should have been to try to pull off, you know, metal core like that. Um, but it, you know, it was a good experience. And, and like the fact that we got to open for like Avenged Sevenfold and some of these bands that are still around now is, you know, those are like really nice, uh, nice, um, you know, nice touchstones to have and memories to have. And then when Nate got an offer to be in Red Death, which was like absolutely the best choice for him and, and um, you know, an exquisite band. Um, you know, my brother and I, who who uh, was in Straight No Chaser, we started Witness with Rory and uh, Adam. Um, and then later on, we did uh, we did Of Wolves with Nate and Eric again. And as, as a matter of fact, I've come full circle. And uh, Nate, Nate, Eric, and I, and my brother and Sean Chud have a, a band that we've been playing music for almost two years now um we have like four or five songs and we were in fact supposed to record earlier in the year but then then this covid thing happened and now i'm not really sure when we're all going to be in the same state again um but uh yeah i mean that's just the basic quick rundown of uh of, of the history of uh of, of uh of the bands i was in nothing nothing major nothing groundbreaking but you know, I, I suppose I can get into some of the uh, the details of each one. Yeah, yeah. And Eric Untie is an interesting person because uh, I can't remember what the first band I saw him sing for was, but I think Pete Kniff was in the band too. Yeah. Uh, it might have been Tears of it might have been Tears of Isaiah too, but he was in you know a couple of bands around that era that they were, were similar. But just talking to Eric, like I don't want to call him like soft spoken, but you know what I mean. Like when you talk to him, and then when you see him like singing a band, it's like whoa! I would never expect. Yeah like this dude to, to have this kind of voice in a band. And it was just interesting to see that. Um, and, you know, it, it was, I feel like Star Shell Fall was definitely a good starting point for you because like you said, like, I mean, you definitely involved with other bands, but that band, you know, you, you, you played some good shows. Yeah. But the music was pretty good. And, and I mean, I don't know if you guys were going for like an in flames type of vibe with that, but that's, that's always what it kind of reminded me of listening to that yeah. kind of stuff. And I feel like there was definitely uh people around here that were, that were into that band at the time too, you know? Eric, Eric, I think was in a band called Barely Breathing, um, which might have been the one with Pete. But um, that's definitely a band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, uh, Pete's another interesting character too. Um, he he lives in, uh, he's really into the Krishna movement. And and last time I checked in with him, he was living in San Diego in like a like a Krishna um, kind of like communal living situation. Um, but yeah, Eric, Eric's definitely one of my one of my closest friends and, and certainly one of the, the biggest influences in my life so without hardcore i wouldn't have met him i wouldn't really have my friendship with nate so all the friendships that i have with a, a, a few um that have lasted me decades have, have all come from hardcore um and, and you know it's just yeah star shell fall was a high school band um i you know we probably took it too seriously but it gave way to a lot of other good music and you know, I don't know that Nate would have been in Red Death. Um, 
if it weren't for Star Shall Fall. And I really like being able to say that, you know, a friend of mine put out a record on Metal Blade Records. You know, even though I had nothing to do with it, I can kind of live vicariously through him. Um, but yeah, you know, none of that would have come come into being if, if we didn't meet each other. So, um, but yeah, Witness is probably the, the band that uh, most people listen to because we played outside of Rochester the most and put out a seven inch. Um, and it's probably, you know, I have the most memories of but it's also that band um was kind of you know i've obviously known my brother my whole life but that was that was like our first experience kind of as interacting with one another as adults um or at least almost adults um so although you know witness didn't really always get the crowd participation you would hope for when uh you know when you're in a band um you know, it was it was one of the more critical um, you know events in my life because it really kind of uh, you know helped build my relationship with my brother um, and opened him up to a lot of great music too. And he went on to do some some really cool you know metal and hardcore and experimental bands like Straight No Chaser. Um, yeah, another interesting thing. Um about witness uh was that you guys were a straight edge band um and, and obviously our conversation in the beginning of the interview made me think of that um was that a real sense of pride for you to be able to play in a band like that that had like a straight edge message like yeah, that yeah and and um i mean just because even 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 now still i'm you know very you know like i won't say i'm anti-alcohol because most of my friends drink at this point um but um you know it's just something that I liked being a part of some of, of, a, of a band or of a community where, you know, people could drink if they wanted to. And if they didn't want to drink, it wasn't a big deal. Um, and, I, and I'm really proud of the fact that I helped push that message out there. And, you know, granted witness, you know, wasn't youth of today or, or earth crisis or something, but at least for a little while, I helped kind of carry a torch, um, you know, to, to, to provide people with, with some kind of place where they could be themselves if they didn't want to participate in that. Um, it's funny. Cause like witness was just a few years too early for like the half heart verse kind of melodic old school, um, revival that happened probably around like 2005 or six. Um, and I, I wonder if like we held out for just a little bit longer, if we would have picked up like more fans or had more shows out, out of town. Um, but that's definitely like the, the biggest experience I think I had in, in hardcore was, was through witness just because we did do a short tour and we did play shows out of, out of town and, you know, have a seven inch. Um, um, so that's, you know, that's, that's probably like the capstone experience of that I had with hardcore. Is that the only band you played in that had, uh, that released a record or did yeah, you have any other bands that put on any vinyl? That was the only one where like, but if, like a, an actual factory that makes records, put it together. Um, Witness did put out a like an EP DIY um, CD, which um, you know we went to pretty great lengths at the time to make it look as professional as we could. And as a matter of fact, you know that I'm digging through all my whole, old hardcore stuff, posting pictures on Instagram. I I still have some of the like stamps and different things that we use to put that CD together. And then when All Wolves came along, we we uh you know we did the same thing 
um, except instead of using ink and stamps, we just use stickers because uh, we got lazy. Um, but I, you know, so those two bands had, uh, you know, CDRs that at least looked the part, they looked professional, but yeah, Witness is the, the only one, uh, the only band I was in that actually was like on a label. We'll, we'll dive into the, to the Instagram and the library stuff in a second, but tell me more, a little bit more about that band, that you, the, the current band that you're going to be yeah, doing. Yeah. So it's, it's called world purge and, um, you know, we're, we're going for like, a, um, you know, like a, it's definitely got a lot of mid to late nineties influence in it, like traditional mid, mid nineties, hardcore. Um, but we're also kind of picking up, uh, uh, some influences from like harm's way and, and power trip. Um, so it's, you know, mostly, mostly uh, mid tempo with, with some heavy breakdowns and a few fast parts. Um, but more or less, it's just, it's like our midlife crisis band. Like, uh, we're like starting to like, look at our own mor mortality and, and, and we all, with the exception of my brother have kids now. And, uh, I think we all kind of feel like, oh, holy shit. Like, um, you know, while I was busy making a life, I, I didn't make enough time to do, to keep up on these things that really made me a unique person. Uh, it's a nice outlet, but really at the end of the day, it's just about us as friends, you know, coming up with an elaborate excuse for us to stay in contact with one another. Um, but I'm really eager to record because the, the songwriting in it is, is some of the best that I've ever been, been privileged to be a part of. Um, and now that, that uh, recording is, there's just so many studios around and there's just different people locally um, you know, who can put out a professional sounding recording pretty quickly. Um, I'm just excited to put it back out there for, for other people to listen to. And, um, you know, I know Rob's been very active and uh, hardcore all throughout, even after, you know, I, I kind of stepped away and other people have stepped away and stepped back in, but um, you know, it's been, it's been nice. I'm, I'm hoping to use it kind of as a vehicle to reconnect with my friends and also, you know, things that I liked about myself when I was younger but uh, also other people too, who, um, you know, I, I used to know when I was younger and, and then people who I, I, uh, who, you know, came into hardcore long after I stopped going to shows, um, you know, it's, it's uh, definitely the right time in my life uh, to, to kind of revisit that. And now when you were mentioning the band at the beginning of the interview, I think you mentioned something about some of the guys living in other states yeah, so, and some of those guys move out of yeah, state. Nate, um, Nate Golia, uh, he lives in Austin, Texas. Um, and, and actually his wife started a, like a children's clothing company that's been extraordinarily successful, like millions of dollars successful. Um, honestly, she's probably one of the most successful business people to come out of hardcore that I, that I know personally. Um, so he lives down there because she had a business opportunity to open up a warehouse or some kind of center of operations down there. Um, and then Eric lives in, in Syracuse uh, now, so I see him occasionally. But then my brother and Sean and I, we, we still are in the Rochester area. In fact, Sean uh, was, was still in, in Newark, but I think he's moved to Phelps uh, uh, recently. When you and I were talking before, um, before, the, before the interview started, obviously, uh, we were kind of talking about how librarians are kind of like, like unsung heroes in this world. Um, when we're kids, we appreciate them. But I think when we, as we get older, we kind of lose touch with that. In the last year, especially after my car accident, I've gotten back into a lot of books and going to the library and stuff. So I have I have more of a deeper appreciation now, and especially like seeing my son 
when, when we could go to story time on Saturdays at the library near us, it was cool, like, seeing him interact with them. Um, so what got you into to doing that as a career, to, like, working for the libraries and yeah, stuff like that? Um, my, my mother was a librarian, and my dad was a teacher, and I didn't think, I mean, I knew I'd become an adult at some point, but, you know, when you're, like, 18 and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life, I all I could think of was, like, teacher or librarian. Uh, and I knew I didn't want to be a teacher because that seemed like too much work. Um, so I picked librarian, but it was the right fit for me um, because I, I'm really, you know, other than hardcore, one of my main interests is technology. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a, yeah, people think of books and, you know, quiet and story times with library, but libraries, but we, we do quite a bit with technology. Um, and, you know, I get to play around with, you know, different computer server systems uh, you know, in a way that I wouldn't get to do, you know, in, in, in a lot of other jobs. Um, but also, you know, it was really important to me in life to do something that, that like helped people and provided, you know, people with a, you know, some way that they could improve their own lives or that, you know, I was at least like contributing to the, to the community. And I just always had a real problem with the idea of like, you know, going to work for somebody and, you know, making somebody else, you know, a lot of money and, you know, kind of getting by. So it, it was a good fit for both of those reasons. Um, but I think where it like intersects with hardcore, um, you know, for me, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's for the love of, of the ideals of, of, um, you know, access to information and helping people improve their position in life, which I think was definitely, um, kind of instilled in me through hardcore, uh, but it, it also is an opportunity to get involved in the community and help build community. Um, so I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of people who are trying to do good things in the community. And sometimes I've been, you know, I've had some success connecting them with others who are doing something similar. And, um, you know, it, it, uh, it, it, at times it's stressful. I'm, I'm, I'm not just a librarian. I'm, the director of the Arondacoit library right now. So I, I have to answer to a lot of people and I also have to speak up on behalf of people, you know, who don't, don't always have the resources they need. Um, you know, we do quite a bit with uh, helping people get online and helping people figure out how to use computers. And uh, with this whole shutdown that's been going on right now, um, you know, it's just very apparent how intense that need is. Um, you know, I help, we help people daily who don't have it, you know, they can't afford a computer, they can't afford internet access. Um, and a lot of those people are kind of out in the cold right now because we're not, you know, we're not able to open up our doors for safety reasons. Um, the, the other thing uh, too is uh, um, you know, prior to being the director at Arondacoit, I was, I was the director at the Gates Library uh, for seven or eight years. And I, I also was um, involved in, in the Chamber of Commerce and wound up becoming the president of the Chamber of Commerce and for the, for the Gates Chai Lai Chamber. Um, and that, that was also interesting too, because I kind of got a, like a bird's eye view of all these small businesses in the community. You know, some of them are just one or two people or, uh, you know, maybe, maybe some of them are a little bit bigger. But, um, you know, gave, I never really thought of myself as an entrepreneur or somebody who would, who would uh, you know, pursue that angle in life. Um, but now seeing, you know, all these businesses that are popping up from, you know, kind of ex-hardcore alum 
like you know wolf brigade and ugly duck and my you know my brother has a, a design company um you know it definitely it, it feels like it's starting to kind of come full circle or maybe everybody that i got into hardcore with is it's similar places now that we're in a you know a different position in life um and so i i you know i've i've, I've, I've found that same sense of belonging and community at the library that I also found in hardcore. And I'm kind of looking to re-engage, I guess, with, with, you know, the hardcore community so I can have, you know, both my professional life, but then also my personal life and, and both have, you know, strong sense of community in, in each of them. I know you're saying your sister is a librarian. And I, I think I remembered that from back in the day. Where, where does she, uh, where does she work again? Well, she's actually a school librarian right now. Um, she got like an administrative degree um, last year from Brockport. I, I, I feel bad because I always forget the names of, of, she has like a lot of degrees. She's gone, she's, she, she literally has like at least six college degrees for wow. different things. Um, so she wants to get like a higher up position with the school libraries eventually. But like, I honestly, I'm really proud of what she's doing now. I, the school she worked at this year closed. So she's going to be looking for another job next year. I mean, she's, you know, they're, they're unionized, obviously, so she'll have okay. one. But it's just cool. It's just cool the stuff she tells me, like all the kids that she works with and just, you know, like, and she's like my son Hendricks, he probably has like, I don't even know, like 200, maybe 250 books and he's only two awesome. years old and, and more than half of those are, from, yeah, more than half of those are from my sister too. Like she was keeping count for a while and I'm sure she probably still is, but the last time she told me she had bought 99 books for him and like a week and a half ago, her, her uh, new, new uh, uh, boyfriend or partner or whatever dropped off like, like literally like 60 or 70 more books so um the kid definitely has a lot of stuff to read and he i mean he, he has a lot of favorite books too so it's just cool that she's been a pretty big influence on him already i mean obviously we haven't seen her in a while because of everything that's going on right now her her best friend's a librarian too so i'm definitely like around librarians pretty yeah, it's, frequently it's, and it's cool it's great because you know? it's free and like <laughs> i didn't realize how how you know how expensive kids were uh, but you were mentioning you, you take Hendrix to, to story time every Saturday. And like we, I would do that with my son, Freddie. Um, and it's just, you know, it's great. It's great to see like him playing with other kids and, you know, in kind of like a structured and nurturing environment. And, uh, you know, to me that my favorite part of the job is, um, is probably like just seeing the families and, and watching the, the kids grow and the families, uh, you know, grow together, um, you know, in addition to helping people with technology. Yeah, that's been one of the worst parts about this whole quarantine thing. I mean, he's missing his daycare family, too. But, like, the library was, like you're saying, like, we've been going there uh, probably about a year now. Because I got back into the libraries, like, last summer. And that's when we started taking them. And we, we 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 couldn't figure out where story time was at the Greece Library right away. Because they have it, like, in this, like, little like yeah. separate room. We didn't know where it was. Like, the couple times we got there, we got there too late, I guess, and didn't figure out where it was. Um, but, like, it's literally, like like the same i mean there's a lot of people that come and go but there's like a, a pretty good group of like five or six uh families that are there like every single saturday so it's he doesn't really realize but it's just kind of sad for us because we're, we're yeah. wondering like how are those kids doing and you know like my girlfriend even said she saw one of the kids uh like running amok at the dollar store a couple weeks ago like, like taking all the balloons <laughs> and just running around the store with them so it's just kind of funny like we recognize yeah. these families and like see them around yeah. town now and my, stuff my you know my wife is a, is a um, children's librarian and she has like all these little fans like will go to like Wegmans and stuff and there'll be like little kids who see her there from story time and they like feel like they've seen a celebrity and in fact now like with this shutdown we're all trying to figure out how to do our jobs without being in the building and she's doing all these like 
video story times on like Facebook. And it's, it's just funny. Cause like, you know, I feel like she's like a, has like a children's television show now and I'm like a stay at home dad or something. But I, I totally hear what you're saying. Like even just going to story time with other families, you get invested in, you know, their kids' lives and, you know, you see, you know, other parents, you know, roughly your age and, you know, they're kind of going through the same thing and trying to figure this out. And, you know, they're, they're just as kind of scared. I can tell sometimes as I am, it's just, it's as much, it's as nice for me, I guess it is, as it is for the kids, <laughs> you know? So I guess sticking with uh, the library and catalog theme, uh, but also yeah. jumping into the stuff you've been doing with uh, the this Instagram and podcast, the SoundCloud. Right? <laughs> it pretty much is now. I'm, I'm guessing that had yeah. a pretty big influence on you starting, um, like doing all this cataloging and, and doing the, the Rochester Hardcore History Instagram. Um, so kind of take me take me through yeah. what your process was of getting that all started. Yeah, at some point in time, you know, I started posting pictures of like old show flyers that I had. Um, you know, on my personal Instagram page and uh, most of the people I'm friends with on Instagram don't know what hardcore is and, and probably see those flyers and think I like worship Satan or something. Um, but, uh, you know, I eventually started one that was just for show flyers and I didn't know if anyone would care. Um, and now it's grown. I have like almost 1500 followers, but the whole, the whole Instagram thing, like the Instagram was actually kind of secondary to the SoundCloud, which I, I linked to from the Instagram. Because for me, you know, like being a librarian and I'm interested in like preserving culture and, um, you know, making, you know, information and, and media available to people, um, you know, also celebrating the local community and building a sense of community. Uh, I just got worried because so many of these like CDRs that I have, you know, I, you know, they, they don't last forever. And some of these demo tapes I have, I, you know, they've had them for more than 20 years. And I wonder if you know, I wondered if they'd even, um, if I'd even be able to rip them to MP3. So the whole thing really just started as a desire to create like a massive archive of all the hardcore bands that I loved when I was a teenager. And then from there, uh, you know, I used Instagram to try to promote that and just celebrate the history of, of hardcore in Rochester. Um, you know, I, I stole kind of the idea from the Buffalo Show Flyers Instagram and a few other Instagrams that post, you know, old show flyers. Um, but, but really, I, I just wanted to preserve the music because it meant so much to me and became, you know, really helped me become who I am right now and, and helped me through many of my struggles in life. And I just, you know, I, I assume other people are out there, you know, like me and they're like, oh, yeah, I remember that band. I wish I could wish I could hear that song again. Um, so then, uh, then I, you know, it's, you tried to use Instagram to promote that. And, and I, I guess it worked because people started sending me MP3s of their bands. And I started, you know, reaching out to bands, trying to figure out, you know, where I could get, you know, old demo tapes. And I bought a, some equipment that, um, you know, I can use to rip, you know, vinyl and, and tapes to the computer. Um, and it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, I started this, I don't know how many years ago, but now, now that I work at the Arondequoit Library, they have this like maker space, this maker lab. And uh, in it, they have like equipment to digitize old VHS tapes and digitize old cassette tapes. Uh, and, and it's become kind of a popular uh, uh, thing for people who want to preserve family history. But I just look at it and I'm like, you know, this is like exactly the right place for me to be because this is all the equipment I was buying anyway, um, you know, to preserve my own kind of personal and shared history with hardcore. 
And in fact, before the shutdown, we were talking about putting in like, like a, some kind of like audio booth that people could, you know, book, book the room and record, record episodes of a podcast in it. Um, and I, and I, after, you know, you reaching out and starting this podcast made me think like, and there's another local podcast that's kind of affiliated with the hardcore scene called Hell Week. Um, you know, I feel like maybe there are people who want that kind of service. Maybe maybe we should go forward with that once things get back to normal. Um, but yeah, the Instagram just, I don't know, it, it took on a life of its own. And I've met so many really cool people from Rochester's history and, you know, touring bands that came through town. Um, and it's really been it's really been a bittersweet way to reconnect with people I had lost touch with or reconnect with people I had, you know, had falling outs with. And, um, you know, it's, it's nice, you know, people kind of forget the, the bad memories and kind of only just remember the good times. And uh, it's, it's really been nothing but a positive experience for me. But, yeah, I totally was totally was influenced by my desire, to, you know, to archive and preserve things for future generations. I just, uh, you know, not that I like had have a chip on my shoulder for getting here sooner rather than later or sooner than some other people. But, you know, I just wanted people to know that, um, you know, when you're like listening to a local hardcore band or going to a show at like the Bug Jar or Montage or something, you're participating in something that's been around for 40 years. And I think that's long enough that probably will still be around 40 years from now in some form or another. Um, because, uh, you know, it's important. I think it's important to me because I, I, as a kid, as a teenager, I would have been blown away to know that like Operation Ivy played in Rochester or that, you know, the descendants played in Rochester in the eighties. Um, and I'm sure there's kids that are like, Oh shit, Bane played here, or oh shit, you know, Shai Halud play, played here. And I just wanted to make, you know, that history available for the people like me who who found some sense of belonging in, in the community and then an even deeper sense of belonging, knowing that, you know, you're participating in something that will last well beyond your your interest in it or your ability to participate in it, and maybe even, you know, your your whole life. Yeah, no, that, that that definitely makes sense. And I and I think right there you kind of touched on on pretty much the best parts about doing all this stuff. Um but who have been some of the most helpful people for you with this project or has it kind of come all, from like a, a variety place, of different like sources? Greg Greg Walsh uh from from Wolf Brigade um Jim, you know, he reached out and you know let me digitize a bunch of his flyers. Jim Callahan and and you uh, you know sent me a bunch of flyers early on. Um, and then, you know, I've met people from out of town too, which are, you know, which has been, uh, been fun. I've met people who were in bands and, you know, hardcore bands in the eighties and the early nineties, um, who've, who've moved away. And, uh, you know, um, probably the best experience I had was I, I, I attempted to record an interview with two guys, uh, Michael Hodge and, uh, Tom Mesmer, who were in. Uh, this band nuns on death row which i think they started in like 86 maybe um they as best i can tell were like the first self-described hardcore band from rochester uh they went on to to do another band called hunger artist um but then you know in, i think like 90 or 91 or early 90s they disbanded and uh, michael moved away and i he, he lives in in um in dc now and is actually a librarian himself speaking of libraries um, but you know, I reached out to him and he was like, Oh, holy shit. Like, I can't believe people still care about hardcore. I can't believe people in Rochester are still talking about, you know, this band I did when I was a teenager. 
and he was like totally blown away. And, and you know, like you and I, he's a little bit older than us. Um, you know, he's kind of stepped back from hardcore and then kind of stepped back in and rediscovered it. And, uh, you know, has been doing bands, um, you know, throughout this whole time. Um, but he, he was an interesting person, uh, to, uh, for me to connect with, uh, in particular, because he did an interview with Ian Mackay and, um, he, there's a blog post, I can probably share it with you. I, I linked to it at some point in time in the past on Instagram, where he interviewed Ian Mackay about um, this letter that he wrote to him when he was a teenager, uh, Michael wrote to him from Rochester. And uh, Ian sent him like a, a mixtape that he had made. And um, he, you know, like 20 years, 30 years later, sits down and, and you know, they kind of had a a discussion about that letter and the mixtape and you know ian remembered him and in fact still i believe had the letter that he had sent to him i guess ian's kept all of his correspondence throughout the entire time of doing discord which also not to turn this into a library podcast like gives me like a huge heart on as a librarian because that's going to be <laughs> like the definitive you know first-hand documentation of what you know the the origins of of hardcore was and I, and I hope that he, uh, you know, preserves those for, you know, some some other e equally, um, you know, obsessive uh, librarian archivist type to to digitize and you know make available and make, you know, let people take a look at in the future. Um, so Michael was is a really interesting fellow, but also his, uh, you know, his bandmate Tom Tom Mesmer, who still lives around Rochester. I'm, I'm sure both of them would probably love to do an interview with you. Um, He's he's been in a number of bands, uh, but Hunger Artist is probably his uh, biggest uh, biggest success. Um, really connecting with those guys because I had no idea that you know I didn't know much about Hunger Artist. You know I knew about Foundation, I knew about Moment of Truth, but those were like the older hard Rochester hardcore bands I was familiar with as as a teenager. And to kind of find about, out about Hunger Artist and hear you know that they went on tour with like Swizz and a lot of other you know, big DC bands from the era and that, you know, they played Gilman and, you know, went on a U.S. tour. It just, um, you know, it was nice to hear and it just felt special to hear that, you know, these guys who were not too different from me, but born a little bit earlier were doing the same kind of things in my hometown and having the same kind of experiences with their friends as, you know, we had and other people are, are getting to do now. Um, I've, I've met a couple other t interesting people too. Like there's a guy from Florida who for, for whatever reason just really loves contempt. Um, and he printed some contempt reissue shirts, uh, with the help of, uh, of, uh, uh, Brendan contempt and who's another person who's been, you know, helpful in kind of piecing together the history of this, this hardcore scene and sharing old flyers and old photos. Um, but you know, I helped him promote that he made these reissue shirts of like, honestly, what's basically this obscure band that somehow found its way onto catalyst records. Um, and, and I guess it was a success cause he sold, uh, he sold out all those shirts, which I'm kind of surprised about. Cause I, I couldn't think of 20 people in Rochester who still remembered contempt. <laughs> and then he went on to make uh, reissues of all their demo tapes too. Um, and I kind of helped him piece some of that together you know, trying to explain hardcore to outsiders. Um, Michael and, uh, and Tom from Hunger Artist and, um, and Nuns on Death Row, they were telling me how they 
they booked a show at this um, Catholic school with Youth of Today and Seven Seconds. I think it was like 1987, maybe. Um, the, the flyer is definitely on uh, on the Instagram and is one of my, the favorite flyers I've come across. Um, and he was saying how like it was at this Catholic school and the guy who was in charge was his priest. And like the priest was like not believing that there weren't drugs and drinking going on. And, and, you know, they're like, no, like, this is, you know, like, this is like, this is a straight edge scene. Like we're not drinking, we're not using drugs. And the priest just like sounded like he just thought they were full of shit and giving them the the same line of BS that like Pat Stefano's parents and my parents thought we were giving them. And then like about halfway through the show, he's like, you know what? Like, uh, I, I, the guy's like, I'm like a 50 year old guy who's celibate and like hangs out, you know, in front of crucifixes all day. Maybe, maybe I'm like weirder than all you people here. Maybe this is exactly where I belong. And um, yeah, yeah, I can put you in touch with those guys if you ever wanted to talk to them. They got some really interesting stories about, you know, like kind of building the the scene up, you know, in the in the late 80s, um, you know, booking shows uh, before people even really knew what hardcore was. But you had you had mentioned some, a couple current bands you listen to. Are there are there are there any other current bands that, that you're digging at all lately? Um, I mean, like like locally, I like the weight we carry, and um, you know, I've like met some of those guys. I, don't, I didn't know them. You know, I think some of them were going to shows when when we were going to shows, but I didn't, I didn't know them. Uh, it was been, it's been nice meeting those guys. Um, um, there's like there's a bunch of other local hardcore bands uh, too that that um, you know just been meeting people through the Instagram, um, like, uh, Druce and, um, there's a, there's a, there's a couple others that are escaping my mind right now, but, uh, you know, listening just to the local bands, I haven't been able to get out to shows as much as I, I would like to, but, you know, maybe once my kids get a little bit older and they, they don't need, you know, my help, you know, all night, every night, um, I can re-engage with that, but mostly I just am listening to like harm's way inclination, um, and then just revisiting old bands. I've been listening to the Beastie Boys a lot too, because I watched that Beastie Boys documentary um, that was on uh, Apple TV. Um, and holy shit, that was really good too. I, I recommend anybody who's into hardcore watch that because they like do some real deep Beastie Boys cuts there and they talk about their origin as a hardcore band and then their transition into like hip hop and, you know, kind of experimental hip hop and, you know, what their lives have been like since. Uh, MCA died and the band dismembered or dis, uh, disbanded. That's probably become my favorite band as an adult too. Like they, they were a band that I always, always dug growing up. And then my friend uh, Petey and I saw them play in Ottawa in 2004. And after that, I just, I just got their whole entire discography. And, and that's all I listened to for like three or four years. And then um, when Obama got inaugurated, I was already planning on going down there to see that. Cause that was like history, you know? Yeah. Um, and then like, like 10 days before the, the uh, inauguration, uh, my roommate at the time, Brian, was looking at the the Rock the Vault website for some oddly reason. Um, and when when I I just I just happened to look at the screen when he was looking at, it, I was like, "Holy shit, what does that say?" And the Beastie Boys were playing at the 9:30 Club in DC, which is like, oh shit, it's not the same. It's not the same legendary club that, that Minor Threat and those bands played growing up, but like it's still like a really small venue, and I think I think it holds like maybe 1,200 people or something like that. So like I went to Kinko's the next day because I, I didn't have a, a Wi-Fi on my phone at the time or whatever. And I'm just literally sitting there by myself, like waiting for the tickets to go on sale. And I ended up like luckily scoring one. Nice. Uh, yeah, it was it was seriously like probably like I can't wait to tell my son about it when he gets older. Like hopefully he'll be into that, like, the same kind of music as us. I mean, we'll see, you know. Yeah. But I mean, so I guess that kind of I think that kind of uh, shifts into my next question then too, because I know they would be on a dream show if I had a dream show. 
Um, but if you could pick a dream show of like four to six bands, uh, who do you think would be on it? Yeah. So this is this is my idea, and and uh, I don't have the bandwidth to do this now, but maybe someday. Like, I, reunion shows are all the rage right now, as we've discussed earlier, and you know, like, why not? Why not get in on that fun? Like, I I, I just wish I want to book a show that's like Rochester hardcore homecoming. You know, make it the day after Thanksgiving, so everyone's in town. You know, see their folks and just you know, proposition some old, old bands from different eras in Rochester to like, just put together like an all-star lineup show of, you know, Rochester hardcore band reunions from the, you know, late eighties, early nineties to, you know, up through the mid nineties and early two thousands. So if I, if I could, if everyone would say yes, I'd totally book a show with like lethargy, stand fast, hunger artist, maybe like discern or something in there. And, and just uh, you know, let people from different eras kind of all come together and just celebrate that. Uh, you know, through no coordination or plan, we've kind of kept this thing going in this city for. I mean, we're approaching like forty years now. Um, you know, just kind of revisit revisit the old days. I don't know. Uh, not not the same as like getting to book a show with you know like the Beatles you know, and Iron Maiden uh, on the same bill, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, definitely, uh, definitely, why not? I mean, I feel like I'm not done with this. I still need this. I I need this now more than ever, really, if, if, if anything. So, um, I don't know when, when my kids get a little bit older and I have a little bit more free time and a little bit extra money, maybe I'll, I'll see what I can do about booking shows for bands I like, or bands that sound like bands I like. Um, definitely has been, a a, a totally nothing but positive experience doing this Instagram. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to approach it as a librarian, as we mentioned, take myself out of this and just make this about the, you know, the, the shared, uh, the shared experience of having, you know, kind of all gone through uh, similar situations in life and find, finding this similar, uh, you know, this similar outlet. Um, so I don't know if that was quite the answer you were looking for, but, uh, the, you know, if there's ever even, live music uh, performed again uh <laughs> maybe i don't know yeah no that's that's not exactly the answer i was looking for but coming from you it, it's the answer i would expect i guess like i think my my dream show would more be like like and, and but this would be like early era for those bands it'd be like like earlier bands you know what i mean like beastie boys and bad brains and, and it'd be it obviously it'd be incredible to see minor threat at their peak you know um but at the same time, like having seen Lethargy back in the day and, and seeing what those dudes have gone on to accomplish now, it'd be it'd be amazing to see them play again. And and especially to see a band like Lethargy play at the Bug Jar again would be would be phenomenal. You know, like bronze yeah. drums that probably wouldn't even fit on the stage. So um but yeah, no, that's that's a pretty good answer. And and like I said, that's like with everything you've done for the city, I think it's uh it's something I guess I would expect for you to say. But what are some of the like I guess are there any other like really crazy things that you've seen or, or or witnessed uh going to hardcore shows yeah playing hardcore shows just like goofy ass shit like um one time there was this there used to be this this radio show on one of the local independent stations called mind of magnus um um, it was hosted by this guy magnus apollo who's a local artist he's done a lot of like murals and graphic design that people probably have seen if they've been out in the city or looked at instagram locally um but he he asked me a similar question and um uh like other than fights uh there was this one show that witness played in albany and it was one of the the bigger shows i ever played um uh and the guy the guy who booked the show maybe he was in a band that played the show he seemed like everybody knew him he's probably like 
you know, Albany's equivalent of like you at that time or John or something. Um, and he, he, uh, you know, in between each of the bands, starting from the first band, he'd get on the mic and be like, Hey, my cousin is in town. He's from out of town. He is, you know, Nebraska's double Dutch champion. He's going to do a special uh, double Dutch demonstration for all of you before the last band. And like, after every band, he would get on the mic and just hype it up. And he'd have his like cousin stand there. And he looked like his cousin looked like this, this total, like arrogant, like piece of shit. Like who the fuck is this guy? Uh, you know, like, <laughs> like he's a fucking jump rope champion who gives a shit. And so then like they build it up and like everybody's in there waiting for this double Dutch demonstration. And they have like these kids doing the two jump ropes at the same time. And the, and the cousin from out of town who's like a purportedly this like great double Dutch champion uh, is like getting psyched up and getting the crowd pumped and like everybody's getting into it. And he's like looking really intense, like he's going to jump in. Then he just like jumps in the middle of the ropes and just starts flailing around and pretending to have a seizure and getting all wrapped up in the ropes. And the guy grabs the mic. He's like, oh, he's a fucking fraud. He's a fraud. Let's beat the shit out of him. And they like just pretended to kick this guy's ass and like everybody fucking fell for it. We all thought he was like a real jump rope champion. And like, he was really going to show us something that we'd remember, but it was just a fucking joke. And like, that's the kind of shit that I like, I feel like I need more of in my life. And I miss about hardcore. Not the times where like everybody took themselves too seriously, but like, I don't know, like that band fat day, you know, for whatever reason, people really loved in Rochester. Uh, they had like all those weird homemade props and shit, you know, just, just stuff like that. Just like meeting interesting people doing crazy, unexpected shit. Yeah. I think I, I, I don't, I've never really talked to people from other cities, but I feel like fat day was probably a, a beloved band in other areas too. Cause in addition to having a really uh, original live show, their music was really original too. And you know, the, I I've, I've either sold or lost a lot of records from that era from living in so many different apartments, but uh, I can safely say that I've never uh, lost any of my fat day records and they're all still in a safe place. Um, and that's something I'll definitely be telling my son about when he gets older and he'll probably think I'm a really weird person if he doesn't already by then for What's funny you know, having about such them an interest like, in them. Like everybody was like 16 and they were all like, I don't know how old they were, but I thought they were like 45 at the time. <laughs> and I'm just like, they like, didn't give a shit they're like they just stuck with their shtick even though they were like 25 years older than everyone else in the room yeah yeah they were definitely significantly older than us i think i don't know for sure but i think one of them might have gone to school here or had connections here because they always wanted to play here like they hmm. like as you know because you saw them play at least a couple times they definitely they contacted my friend ben or me like every time they would go on tour and they wanted to play here so um huh. and there was that there was, I forget what year it was, it was 2002 or 2003, um, where I ended up booking like a matinee show and a night show at the Bug Jar for them. And it was cool because like on the day show, I put a bunch of hardcore bands on and then on the night show, like Tony Erba's rock band from Cleveland, uh, Stepsister played and, and Hilka played, you know, it yeah. was it was definitely like a more diverse bill. And that's something that I've talked to a lot of people too about doing this podcast. And I think you and I kind of touched on it earlier too, is, is like in the late 90s, and even the early 2000s for that matter, like you wouldn't like the like now if you were to see a show, it would be all like traditional hardcore bands, or like all metalcore bands. Like you wouldn't see yeah. like as, as much of a mixed bill. Like whereas like when I met the first time I met Brian Rao, um, it was like the professionals, the dense and like one other local like hardcore punk band. Like but you would have you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't just have like hardcore yeah. bands. You'd have like a ska band 
like an emo band like it didn't matter like like the bills be mixed like lethargy played with hardcore bands like it was just it's 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 like i think it goes back to what you're saying about taking yourself too seriously and having things have to be kind of like contrived you know and whereas back then it was just like we were just happy to have shows you know and like we would get whatever bands we could to play you know yeah some of those shows Uh, were like like saint joe's hosted a lot of shows like that where you'd have like street punk bands playing with like straight edge bands playing with like a metal band like those are good those are those are some i mean i I struggle to name even one show like that but you know definitely remember seeing like nobody cares playing with uh cast aside or something like it was good times you know we were just we were just kids trying to find our place and you know we we got it right sometimes you probably got it right more times than we got it wrong yeah, Rob Manchinucci actually sent me like a ton of flyers the other day. Um, and one of the ones he sent me, like I remembered the flyer because it had a funny picture on it. But it was like I booked like 11 bands at St. Joe's for like an end of the year show. And like the, the mixture of bands, I don't have the flyer in front of me, but it, it was like nobody cares. Like you mentioned, they played. Um, I think I put Saving Throw on, like Miles Between Us. Like those three bands right there, like they all sound different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we didn't, like even then, like I was already kind of booking like mostly hardcore shows. But it was still cool to, especially like you said at St. Joe's, and then I think sometimes at that, at that short-lived space we had on Lyle Ave, like you would have, like more mixed bills even then. Like I think I think around like two thousand two, two thousand three is when it kind of started to get more like, occasionally you would see like a, uh, like a tour package that would have like a couple different styles of music, you know. I mean they all they all fall into like hardcore punk umbrella or emo, but like now I feel like like the most of the tours, most of the shows that I've been to the last few years, it's all been kind of yeah. bands that sounded similar. Like the Chromax played here with I Hate God a few years ago, which I still kind of regret leaving before I Hate God played because it'd be cool to see those guys play. Um, but like you, you'll still see tours like that occasionally, where like a hardcore band will tour with like a like a stoner or sludge band or whatever you know. But for the most part, it seems like the the scene's a little more. It's not quite as diverse as it was back then. Like I think there's there's um, a lot of division. You know? Yeah, I have a flyer I posted from like some Syracuse punk hardcore fest. I think it was like '99, maybe. And the headliners are Toxic Narcotic and Every Time I Die. It's just like, how <laughs> the fuck did those two bands get on the same show together? Yeah, I don't know if that's the one that Adam and his package yeah, played. It is, it is um, that one. Yeah, there was this girl Delilah in Syracuse yeah, at the yeah, time. Now, um, now it's coming back. <laughs> yeah, she she booked a lot of cool stuff. Um, I, I didn't really know her all that well, but I talked to her a couple of times and, and she was one of those people like, like I, I would say like me when I was younger, but even when, as, even as I got a little older, like by the time I was like, like booking like carry on on bands like that, like I, I mostly wanted to do like, like bridge nine style bands. I didn't really care yeah. about booking like, like punk, punk shows as much. And the, the one, the you know, I, I kind of miss that era. It stands out for me from that era. It was like Thursday and Hope Con at um, that, that lodge in Brighton. Um, yeah. That was that was a that was a that was an awesome show. That probably might be one of my like top five shows. Yeah, that was definitely like probably the most successful show that I booked. Um, I mean, to this day, I still reference the fact that because uh, we went back there for like a like a vegan or vegetarian potluck uh, thing there, like probably like ten years ago. And I think they even still have on the wall. It says like capacity sixty five. And uh, I had like 270 people pay for that wow. show that night. And, and there was like five or six bands play, played. Yeah, that. And there was like a Coheed and Cambria show that I booked for probably the two biggest shows. Yeah, I remember that Coheed and uh, Cambria show. They had these free sampler CDs on their merch table. And I took one and the singer thought I was stealing from the merch table and confronted me. 
And then they like went on to be on MTV and shit. And I'm like, that guy yelled at me one time. Yeah, those dudes were kind of weird. The first time I booked them, they were kind of dicks, but they were cooler that time. And I'll never forget that night. I don't know if you ever knew the dude who owned the Penny Arcade at that time, Joe. Um, But he was more just like a rock dude. Like he he probably had like white sneakers. You know what I mean? Like one of those kind of dudes. Um, And he just like was standing right next to me because he would always stand by the door with me and talk to me at shows. And right when they started playing, like within a minute into the set, he just turns to me. He's like, holy shit, man, that singer. He sounds just like the singer from Rush. <laughs> I can't believe it. And like, obviously, like in a, in a scene, there had already been those comparisons because his voice does sound similar. But like that dude was like blown away by that. He was so stoked. And like them and Thursday, like and sick of it all, too. Like he would always ask me to bring those bands here because um, I guess he would always get calls from them or whatever, you oh. know. And, and we ended up bring, we ended up doing that one Thursday show there, me and Chris Ring. But um I don't really know what happened that day. I ran into him one time and he didn't really seem like he was in the same place that he was when he owned the Penny Arcade. Um, but I think my favorite show from that era, and I think you'll probably have this towards the top of your list too. Um, it's coming up in a couple days, the anniversary for us. I'll probably post a flyer. Uh, it was Bane and Terror and Most Precious Blood. Yeah. Um, and that was the Penny Ar- That was the Penny Arcade. And there wasn't quite as many people there as there was that Thursday show. There was probably like, maybe like 230 250 people there but it was just so cool to see like a big hardcore show in rochester like it felt like being like like a syracuse yeah. show you know what i mean like oh, yeah. we, there was just like kids we like got passed over that? for like buffalo and syracuse because they had like Snapcase and earth crisis and the scenes that kind of coalesced around those bands i i think that show the bane set is on youtube um yeah i think brian i think brian rao posted that a while ago because he had video from yeah. that and terror from that night yeah um yeah but, but but that Bane show, like anytime Bane here, like you said, anytime they played here was fun. But like that night for me, just like seeing people like doing like flips off the stage, you know what I mean? It was just like it felt like being at, like a show like Lost Horizon or like one of yeah. those like bigger shows, like you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was just cool to to. I, I saw yeah. Bane in Worcester, and I, I saw him in Albany and and Erie, and they always like people went nuts for him uh, in in uh, in Erie. Uh, but you're right, seeing him at that show was like. Um, it definitely felt like that that was uh like the beginning of a like a a a pretty significant golden era of hardcore in rochester yeah no definitely and and you know there there was i mean we could we could have like literally a whole entire podcast like i I told you before i want to have you on a gun at some point we can just talk about shows (laughs) because there were definitely some good ones like i said this this conversation tonight kind of went into a different different direction than i originally anticipated that's okay um found out about myself that like now that i have to do all these stupid zoom meetings i like talk four times as much on zoom than i versus in real life so i apologize if i took it in a different direction but i really liked hearing about you and your son and where you're at in your life and you know how you got to where you are and some of the struggles you've had because it definitely feels similar to me and this is a point in time maybe you're this way too but like holy shit do i feel isolated do you have anything else to add that we didn't touch no, on or I'm anything like that? So grateful you, you decided to do this podcast because it you know takes takes these memories that we all kind of have and puts it in another format and it's going to reach people that you know would have never found the Instagram or the SoundCloud or you know people people moved out of Rochester but still want to check in to see how we're doing and I'm just so so grateful you put this together and I'm you know grateful that you booked all those shows back back in you know the 90s and 2000s so we could you know have this this fun. Uh, fun little thing to distract us from our lives right now uh, this podcast so thank you for doing this and uh i hope that it helps more people get re-engaged i've noticed 
people have been reaching out to me left and right now that we've got like a little bit of time on our hands and we need a desperately need a distraction. People have been sending me flyers and uh, my bandwidth has been low, but I, I have a bunch of really awesome flyers that people have sent me from the late eighties and, and early nineties that I think people will like to see. So thank you for, for doing this podcast and booking shows and, and inviting me onto this. Um, like I feel bad, like I, Rob and, you know, Mike Jeffers, you know, they've been in like way more notable bands. I'm just kind of in like footnote bands, but uh, I'm grateful that I, I got to share my experience uh, with hardcore, my experience as a father and kind of growing and learning from myself with you. And I'm, you know, blown away that you're, you're kind of in similar position uh, in life all these years later. So thank you for having me on and, and I'm looking forward to listening to the future episodes. The next few episodes will feature interviews with Chris Ring, Ruben Lipkind, Brendan Pore, as well as Volume 2 of the Local Business Series and Part 2 of my Mike Jeffers interview. Special thanks to Greg Benoit for doing this interview. As always, thanks to Rob Antonucci for all your help, and extra special thanks to my family for all your support.